You know, the Bible gives us many examples of those who were called. We can look through the pages of the Old and New Testament and find many stories of men and women who have been called throughout time. Just one that comes to mind is in Matthew chapter 4. And this is Jesus after he's been baptized by John the Baptist. And he's, uh, we'll begin reading there in verse 17. This is after he was tempted by the devil as well. And uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, the Bible says there, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat of the, and their father and followed him. So here we have an example of Jesus directly out of, out of his own mouth calling these men to follow him. And if we look back into the Old Testament, we can think about stories of, of Abraham, how God from heaven called Abraham directly to leave his home and to leave that which he knew to go and to serve him. So some people say, and some people might think, well, you know, if God would just talk to me, and if God would just come to me and, and call me, I would, I would drop everything, I would, I would disregard everything, as we talked about this morning a little bit, and I would serve him and follow him. But you know, when people say that, the, the story that always comes to my mind is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And you remember when Lazarus was there in torment after he had begged for just a, a, a drop of water? He asked if someone could be sent from the dead to talk to his brethren, to convince them that they should live right, because they don't want to end up where he ended up. Excuse me, that was a rich man. I don't know if I just said Lazarus. That's what the rich man wanted. He wanted someone to go to talk to his brethren so that they wouldn't end up where he was in torment. And you remember, the Bible says that they have Moses and the prophets. And as I paraphrase, the Bible tells us that if, if, the, if, if his brethren aren't going to listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen to someone who's come back from the dead. So you see, when we're called today by the Bible, by the word of God, it has just as much impact and just as much significance as those who were called before by God himself or by Jesus himself. It's just as important, and the calling is just as important, and the service to God is just as important as it was for Abraham, as it was for Peter, and for Simon, and for James, and John, as it was for any who were called directly by either God or Christ. So that's important for us to understand, that the calling that we receive through God's word and through the preaching and teaching of it is just as important as it was to those who have been called directly by God. So I wanted to make that point before we get into what we really want to talk about, which is walking in a worthy way or walk, a, a walk, having a walk that's worthy of that calling. Um, you know, sometimes when people will ask you, how are you or how are you doing? Things that come to our mind, you know, in, in way of response to a question like that, and I know it's a very everyday, day-to-day -day question. Sometimes we don't even give much thought to how our reaction is, but you know, sometimes we'll think about our health when someone asks us, how are you? 
and we'll respond based on our current health situation. Sometimes when someone asks, how are you, we'll think about maybe some, some problems or some financial troubles that we're having and we'll respond based on that. Sometimes it'll just be based on our mood, whatever kind of attitude or our mood we have that day. But you know, when, when we're asked how, how we are or how are we doing, sometimes we don't think about how well we really are doing. Sometimes we, we tend to focus on the bad. And we've talked about that idea before here. We focus on the bad. We focus on what our most recent problem is or what our, our most recent trouble is. And when we talk to people about how our life is going or how our day is going even, sometimes we don't focus on the things that are the most important. And, and for us, we have been called to do something that is greater and more significant than anything anyone could do in this world, and that's to serve God. And when we live and when we go about our daily walk and our daily uh, our business, and, and whether it's school or work or whatever, we need to remember that what's really important to us and what we've really answered a call to do is greater than anything we could be doing in this life. Anything. So serving God is greater than any other activity we could, we could even think to do in this life. You know, we have physical dreams and aspirations, and those are fine. We strive to be better. We strive to do, you know, more fun things or more adventurous things. Every time I see Roger Boone, I always think about how he likes to bungee jump. And I always ask him, what's the next thing you want to do, you know? You're gonna, you want to bungee jump off a bridge or, or, you know, we can strive to like accomplish those kinds of things or we can strive to do adventurous things and that's okay. But as far as our service to God is concerned, that is the most important thing we'll ever do, ever. So when someone talks to us about how we're doing, it should always be a positive reaction. We're serving God. How could we be doing any better? How could we be doing any better? So that's important for us to know when we think about walking worthily. Um, Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, he talks a lot about what it is that we are, we have been blessed with. He tells us that we're blessed. He tells us that we're chosen. He tells us that we're predestined, that we're adopted, that we're accepted, that we're redeemed, and that we're forgiven. All in a couple of chapters that he writes to these brethren in Ephesus. That's important for us to know that we're all of those things and that we should remember that. But I suppose the deeper question is, does our behavior match what it is that we believe to be true? And does our walk match what it is that we speak or what it is that we, uh, what, what, what the words are that we believe in? Is there a lifestyle that we can live that's worthy to this great and awesome calling? And there are a lot of words that we could talk about or just try to describe if that's the case, but we're just going to study what Paul has written to these brethren here. Um, he says, first of all, that it's a walk. And I think that's an important analogy for us to think about. You know, we talk about running life's race and, and, and Paul, of course, himself, we get that from his teachings as well. But you know, the idea of walk to me depicts the idea of moving forward. And I know that seems simplistic, right? But if you think about run, or if you think about someone running, you think about someone making great progress in a short amount of time. 
But what happens when you run? When you run, you get tired a lot faster, don't you? When you run, you don't have as much energy to go all the way. So Paul says, we walk, which means we are constantly moving forward. And I think a lot of what it is that we do from day to day, as we talked about, as Uncle Frankie talked about this morning, is we only have to be a Christian today. We only have to live the Christian life today. We'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. And that's the idea to me of walking, is we just keep walking. And however many days we get to walk, we keep walking. We can walk a long time just as physical beings without getting tired. We truly can. And spiritually, in the same sense, we can go on forever if we keep the, we keep the right pace. So he tells us first that this is a walk, that this life is a walk. Now, back in Ephesians chapter 2, it was kind of a different situation that Paul describes there. Paul talks about how in the world, when we were apart from Christ, there was no purpose, there was no goal, there was no progress. We were kind of just meandering and we were wandering about from darkness, from this darkness to that. Um, and whichever the winds of the world blew, we kind of just went that way. But with Jesus, we have forward motion, we have progress. And that's the picture that Paul makes here. So the question becomes, where are we going? Or how is it that we are living? Do our lives truly reflect God's glory? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So do our lives reflect that, that kind of beautiful Wording. Do our lives reflect what it is that it's supposed to or what it is that we have accepted to attempt? As Christians, we have been called by God to live a life that demonstrates his love and his grace and his mercy to the rest of the world. And it's a matter of life and perspective and attitude. So we're going to talk about three, I think, three ideas that Paul says here, that Paul lays out for us here that are things that we need to consider and think about when we talk about walking a worthy walk. And the first thing is, do we have the right perspective? Do we have the right perspective? Um, Paul begins this chapter by talking about how he was a prisoner for the Lord. Now, Paul was literally a prisoner. He was literally in bonds. He was imprisoned and he could not leave where he was. But here when Paul talks about being a prisoner, he puts it in a different perspective than sometimes we would think. Here he talks about being a prisoner of the Lord. And you know, his words then that follow really ring a lot more, they have a lot more weight behind him it seems like. Because when he starts about talking about how he's a prisoner of the Lord, that gets your attention. Then you want to listen. As if he didn't have enough authority in, uh, already being an apostle, now he's basically saying, live what I teach because what I teach I live as well. So his words here have a lot of weight behind them because he is living what he is preaching. He is living exactly what it is that he is preaching. And it's possible that if Paul had never decided to fully uh, yield to Jesus and fully accept Jesus and full, decide fully to live for him, that he wouldn't have been in prison. In fact, we know he wouldn't have. So he's making a statement right away, right off the bat here, 
that he is a prisoner, but he's doing it because he's doing it for the Lord. And I suppose uh, that I would like to follow someone that does say that and practices what they preach. Sometimes we talk about double standards in this world. We talk about contradictions. We talk about compromises. And these are all things that are stumbling blocks for authenticity. So when Paul practices what he preaches, we are inclined to listen to him, and for good reason. Paul has lived uh, for Jesus to the point of imprisonment. He's not living in a mansion somewhere. He's not driving that nice new Mercedes-Benz chariot. He's not lapped in luxury, as sometimes we see people who are so-called evangelists today. But he's living a life that's reflective of his teaching on how to live. So he says, I beseech you there in chapter. Let's read uh, chapter 4, verse 1 again, so we understand exactly what the verse is telling us. Again, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, we covered that. Then Paul says, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. Now this word beseech, or this phrase, I beseech you, can also be translated, I beg you or I exhort you. The word beseech in the Greek also can be to call near or to comfort or to counsel. And it's the same word that's used to describe the works of the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul begins by telling us that he, beseeching us in this way or, or, or exhorting us in this way to walk a walk that is worthy of our calling. You know, I find often that stumbles and, and frustrations um, can get in our way. And that's certainly true today. Often we try to walk in a way that is apart from our calling. Often there are those who try to live without, live right without being right first. You know, they try to go through the motions without changing the inside. They try to do the routine without first making right what needs to be made right, and that's the heart. So Paul is telling us to walk worthy of the calling that we've been called, but he doesn't tell us to act worthy, or he doesn't tell us to fake worthiness is my point. He's not telling us to just go through the motions. He's saying that we have to live, we have to live in a way that's worthy. And we're going to talk about that a little more. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So here's the danger. It can be easy to believe that we are the initiators and that God is the responders. Sometimes people think that way. That if we or, uh, you know, if we pray enough or if we give enough or if we do enough, then God will bless us because of all the things that I've done. And we talked about this last time when I was up here. It's not because of anything special. It's not because we are anything amazing that makes us worthy. There's nothing that we have done that's especially grand or great of our own, uh, of our own you know, divisiveness or whatever that makes us worthy. We are worthy because he made us worthy. So since he made us worthy, since God has made each and every one of us worthy, now we have the obligation to walk a certain way. Now we have the obligation and the duty to respond to that worthiness he's given us. And that's the lifestyle choice that we've made. So it's not something that we are, are especially great at. You know, not because Shahe is better than anyone else, that he can walk this, this life or he can walk this walk any worthier than ever, anyone else, because he's that much more special. It's not that at all. We all have the same opportunity, all have the same ability to walk as a Christian because God has given that to us. 
not because we've given it to ourselves. And that's, excuse me, and that's important for us to know as well. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those who, uh, to, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So with the right perspective, I think that it helps us to walk a little bit. See, we have to have the right frame of mind. We have to have the right way of looking at it. When we think about all the things that we can't do, oh, how I wish I could do all those things I used to do. That's the wrong perspective. That's the wrong perspective. Oh, man, it's just every day I just, I'm so tempted, I can't even take it. I just want to give in. That's the wrong perspective. We have to have the same perspective that Paul had. Yeah, I'm a prisoner. But I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Yeah, I've suffered, but I suffer for the cause of Christ. Yes, I'm persecuted, but I do it because my calling is higher than that persecution. And that's the right perspective. That's the right perspective that we all have to have. We all have to have that. But in addition to the right perspective, I think Paul tells us that we also have to have something else. We also have to have the right position. We have to have the right position as well. In chapter 4, again, in verse 2 and 3, let's read those verses. So after he beseeches us to walk worthy of the calling of which we were called, he says to do so in this way, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity uh, of the spirit of the, in the bond of peace. So this is the position that he wants us to have. After we've got the perspective, now he gives us a position. He says to do this with all lowliness, with meekness, and a life lived in the grace of God, I think, leads to lowliness, and I think that we can see that easily. The word lowliness literally means to be brought low. It's the opposite of asserting yourself. There are some people that, aren't, that simply are not happy unless they are the center of attention, where all their ideas are preeminent, where their voice is heard above anyone else's, where they are constantly center stage at all times, those people want to lift themselves up to be recognized by others. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. So those people that just want to be Elevated, those people that just want to be a little bit better than everybody else, God doesn't accept that. God doesn't accept that. I read once about a young seminary student in Scotland. He was highly gifted and a leading student in the school. Because of his reputation and excellent grades, a local church invited him to teach there one Sunday morning. Since he was a rising star in that denomination, he entered the pulpit with great pride and expectations. When he stood before the congregation to preach, he was confused. He was overtaken with fear and stage fright. He couldn't say a word. He began to cry and weep and ran out of the church, humiliated. Then a sweet, dear elderly member followed him out the door and caught up with him. She, sh she shared these insightful words with him at that time. She said, young man, if you had only walked into the pulpit as you came down, 
you would have walked down the way you went up. That is, with all lowliness and meekness. So see, the point is, is that if we go into a situation or if we live this life with the attitude of being lowly and being meek, God will, will raise us up. God will lift us up in the end. I know a lot of people who just like to be number one all the time. I know a lot of people who just, they want to be top dog all the time. Maybe they just like the praise of men. I know a lot of people that like that too. But for the Christian, that's not what we are. That's not what we were called to be. We weren't called to be number one. We weren't called to be the greatest and the best. We were called to be servants. We were called to be humble servants. So when we talk about walking in a way that's worthy of that calling, we have to reflect that in our lives. We can't always be the best. We can't always be number one. Sometimes we just have to accept that. We're not going to always be the ones to win the argument. If we're just stubborn enough and if we just hold on long enough, Sometimes we have to give in to that mentality. And it's certainly something that easily engrips and entangles us. Meekness is a term used to describe power under control. Have you ever thought about that? Power under control. It's used to measure yourself in relation to God, I think. And I think we can listen to what was written in John chapter 3 and verse 30 when John the Baptist said, He must increase, but I must decrease. I think it's kind of like that. Jesus represented the best example, of course, of this in all of the Bible. You remember in Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 and 29, some very familiar verses to us, where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Power under control. That's meekness. When you think about Jesus... Man, that's power under control. That's supreme, divine power under amazing control. At any moment in time, Jesus could have wiped out his adversaries. At any moment in time, Jesus could have decided, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. They're not worth it. At any moment in time while on the cross, Jesus could have come right down. Power under control. That's meekness. And Paul tells us here, in order to walk in a way that's worthy of your calling, you have to do that. You have to do that. So he says, in lowliness and meekness. Someone, of course, who is not lowly and meek, that would be what we call pride. And a prideful person tries to control everything, as we've said. Pride makes one feel like they know it all, like they're smarter than everyone else, like they're wiser than everyone else. My way is the right way. But humility, lowliness, meekness, these things are not that. It's being occupied with your own life and not meddling or destroying the lives of others. It's allowing God to work through you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Likewise, the younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but give grace to the humble. In lowliness and meekness. These are important. We can't miss these. These are important. 
especially when you look at the life of Jesus and you understand that that's the life that we model our own after, these are important. So if you don't take anything else from this lesson tonight, just know we all need to work on these, myself definitely included. We all need to work on these. Lowliness, meekness, humility, these are really important. He also tells us to bear one another in love, and we won't talk too much about this because we've been covering this concept a lot in our Wednesday night studies. But basically this phrase, bearing uh, with one another in love, is kind of talking about patient endurance. It's long-suffering, really. And that's, of course, listed in Galatians chapter 5 as one of the fruits of the Spirit. When you and I are walking in the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, as, as is through the Word of God, we will be long in suffering. When someone, you know, cuts us off on the freeway, we let it go. When an unkind word is shot our way, we turn the other cheek. When we are wronged, hurt, or wounded, we don't retaliate. All the power, all the rights, all the ability held under control. Bearing one another in love means that we, even though we are feeling pain from time to time, we do what we need to do to help others. Bearing one another in love means that we are always there for each other, always, no matter what. No matter what's going on in our lives. That's bearing one another in love. And that's, you know, I think something that's easy to do in the church. Because there's a lot of people who want to do that also. It's hard when you're the only one. It's hard if you were the only one, I should say. But when there's so many who have this attitude around us, I think it's a lot easier. You know, I, the world's kind of a, a rough neighborhood, if you think about it that way. And from time to time when I think about that, I think about the great sanctuary that we, we really have in the body of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But... We can come here with people who think and, and talk and act like we do because we all have the same mission. We all have, we're called by the same calling. And this really is a sanctuary from the turmoils that the world presents. So when we talk about bearing one another in love, we should want to do that. And I think that we do, especially here at this place. I see that all the time. Every, every time I'm with the members of this congregation, I can see that. Just in the way that people treat each other here. And that's beautiful. That's awesome that we have that. But let's not take it for granted. And everyone needs to be working at it. And everyone needs to be doing their part. The right perspective and the right position. And those are important. Thirdly, though, I think that Paul tells us one more thing. He tells us that we need to have the right perspective, the right position, and the right purpose. The right perspective, the right position, and the right purpose. He tells us in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity. So after we've decided to walk from the right perspective, and after we've decided to walk in the right position, that is with lowliness and humility, always trying to live at peace with one another is something else that we're commanded to do. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. With all men. Then he says to endeavor or literally exert yourself, diligently try to keep the unity. Diligently try to keep the unity. That's working at loving, with one, loving one another in unity and peace. 
You know, this verse basically to me says that we're not to fight. We're not to compete with one another. We're not to complain about one another. One man said it is too bad that anything so obvious should need to be said at this late date. But from all appearances, we Christians have about forgotten the lessons so carefully taught by Paul. God's servants are not to be competitors, but co-workers. Co-workers. If I'm going to work, I want to work my very best. If I'm going to do something, I want to do the very best I can do. And when we all do that together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. Nothing. There's nothing we can't do together as God's family. So he tells us to have the right perspective, the right position, and the right purpose. You know, we talk about the right purpose. We, talk, we can talk about the right purpose, and when we have the right purpose, that's why we're here in the first place, right? When we have the right purpose and the right goals, when we are all striving for the same thing, that's what brings us here together in the first place. So sometimes when we think about difficulties, we all have those, but we need to focus on our common purpose, our common purpose of service to God. And he illustrates that by now listing things. He's going to make a list right now, beginning in verse 4. Let's briefly look over this, and we'll talk about it just a little bit more. And We're, we're nearing, nearing the completion. But he says in verse 4 that there is one body, that is one family of believers where Jesus is our head, the oneness of the church, I believe, is essential for the work of the gospel on earth today. One spirit, he says. Now, the Greek word for spirit here can also be translated as breath, which I think is interesting. But this verse is basically illustrating the power of the Holy Spirit as we have manifested today through God's word. There's one hope in our calling. And this is the great power of our unity. As I said, we are all moving toward one goal. That's to see the face of Jesus. You remember Titus chapter 2? Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, the Bible says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that in denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and ungodly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our common goal. We want to see that. We want to be ready for that. In verse 5, he says, One Lord course, talking about Jesus, who is our master, our leader, and our king, the one that we follow and example our lives after. One faith, he says. Faith, of course, being the first step for one entering the kingdom. And it's our belief and unyielding trust that keeps us, guides us, and strengthens us. Ephesians 2 and 8, of course, says, for grace you are saved through faith, and that, uh, and not, and, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. He says also in verse 5, one baptism, our outward demonstration of what it is that we believe internally. It's the one way to wash away man's sins here on earth. The one way to put us in the family of God. One baptism. In verse 6, he says, one God and Father. We, of course, know there is but one God. He is the Father of all. And I think that's the greatest description of God, is being Father to us. Of all the things that we can look at throughout all of the pages of the Bible as way as a description of God, he is our father. He keeps us. He loves us. He takes care of us. He nudges us, nudges us on when we need it. That's always been my favorite description of how God works today. He's our father. He's our father. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, And because you are sons... 
God has set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. He is above all. He is sovereignty. He is absolute power. And he is our father. And he chooses to be that. He chooses to take care of us. He chooses to love us the way that he does. He's chosen to give us a plan to redeem us. He's chosen to send his son because he loves us. All because he is our father. In closing tonight, I'd like to read a few words that Adam Clark writes about this passage, and I think this very well illustrates some of the thoughts we'd like to portray. He says here that the calling is the free invitation that they, uh, they have had from God to receive the privileges of the gospel and become his sons and daughters. Their vocation or calling took in their Christian profession with all the doctrines, precepts, privileges, and duties. He goes on to say, among us, a man's calling signifies his trade or occupation in life. That, uh, that at which he works and by which he gets his bread and it is termed his calling because it is supposed that God, in the course of his providence, calls the person to be thus employed and thus to acquire his livelihood. It's our profession. And like any other job, it requires effort and work on our part. But God has called us to work for him. And he's called us to work for him in a specific way. And those of us who have answered the call and who are here tonight because we continue to answer the call, we need to remember that there's a certain way in which we need to walk, a certain way which we need to live. And that's in a way that is worthy of such a great calling. In close tonight, Paul begs and pleads with us. He exhorts us to have a walk worthy of our calling with lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another because of his grace and God's great love. He tells us to walk in a certain way, to make progress together, and that our behaviors should match our beliefs, that our actions match our attitudes, our decisions, and our life. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.